Thanks for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Lily Griesheimer, the women's pastor here at Rolling Hills Community Church. We're so glad that you joined us today as we continue with our series, Finish Strong. Today, you'll hear from Pastor Jason. He'll be teaching from Joshua 3, walking us through the story of the Israelites crossing the Jordan River. Now here's Jason. Well, I don't know about you, but I love to travel. Is there anybody else in the room that loves to travel? Traveling is one of my absolute favorite things to do. I love to visit new places. Now, obviously, in this season, that has been a little bit more challenging due to travel restrictions and coronavirus and all those things. But when I think about traveling, there are really some distinct types of travelers. And maybe I'm going to strike a chord with you this morning. I think that there's actually three different types of travelers. And I like to call traveler A or person number A the travel planner. And you are the travel planner who you have researched your destination weeks before you ever leave your home. You have a full itinerary. Every excursion is planned. Every restaurant is picked. There is an itinerary for every person that is color-coded by the needs that they have. And you have purchased tickets for everything you're going to do two weeks ahead of time because you saved $2 a ticket by buying 14 days in advance. And some of you are laughing because that is you, or you are married to that person. Um, That's person A. Then there's person B, which I like to call the thoughtful traveler. And you like to plan a little bit, but you also like to leave some room for your destination to speak to you. Because you can't really commit two weeks ahead of time to that seafood restaurant because maybe there'll be something that TripAdvisor missed, some pizza place that the concierge at the hotel tells you about. And so you're going to want to leave some space open for that. And then there's person C, which is the laissez-faire traveler. And that's just the people that are happy to not be in Nolensville, Tennessee anymore. (laughs) You could be dropped off at a Candlewood Suites in Smyrna and you are just... A-okay, because you're just not home anymore, and so therefore it is a win. Now, maybe you can relate to one of those. Which one of those is right? Which one of those is better? Which one of those is preferable? I I don't know, and that's for you and your family to determine which one is best for you, but the reality is there tends to be these prototypes of people, and we find those prototypes enacted in all kinds of different seasons and facets of life, because see, it's not just travel where you see person A, person B, and person C. How about when it comes to your job? When it comes to your job, some of you are person A. You are ultra organized, and your goal is to get that email inbox down to zero every day. That's not me. Bless you guys who choose to do that. And then there's person B. You're an organized worker. You reply to messages in an expedient fashion. You're on top of everything, but you still leave a little bit of space. And then there's person C. You're just happy to be on the payroll. And you're happy that when you show up, your key has not been changed and that your swipe card still gets you in the building. How about parenting? Person A, highly organized. Person B, leaves a little bit more room. Person C, says you need some lunch. The refrigerator is not locked. Please go get whatever you need and take it with you to school. Now, these are funny illustrations, but the reality is it's been my experience that regardless of the situation that you and I find ourselves in, we tend to behave in a certain way, depending on the way that we are wired. And if I take it a little bit more serious with you this morning and move away from travel and job and parenting to something that really strikes at the heart of who we are, how about when it comes to matters of faith? When we look at faith, when we look at the faith decisions we make, when we look at the spiritual journey that we are on, do we tend to navigate through those faith decisions with the same trajectory that we do travel and work and parenting? I would like to hypothesize this morning that I think we do. 
I think we tend to be either person A, person B, or person C when it comes to our faith journey. Because often if we're person A, faith doesn't come real natural to us. Why? Because we like a plan. Because we like details. Because we like every answer to every question before we ever start the journey. Or maybe you're more like person B, where faith is an area that you're strong in, but you still have room to grow. You're trying in all facets of seasons of your spiritual journey to believe and trust that God has a bigger plan than you can see. And then some of us are wired truly like person C. We realize that faith and control do not run on parallel tracks. And so for me to step out and do what God has called me to do, I have to trust, as we were just singing, that God's Spirit will lead me to a place without borders and that my eyes will be above the ways and that I will be able to trust Him no matter what I might see going on around me. And this concept is really at the heart of our message today. It's one of the big ideas of our message because the reality is trusting God and stepping out for what God would have us to do is a difficult task. It's a journey that all of us have room, I'm sure, to improve upon. Is there a best way? Is there a better way? Are there some tweaks that you might need to make in your life to position yourselves to be more closely aligned with what it is that God is desiring to do in your life? Possibly. So as a result of that, we're going to set our sights today on Joshua chapter 3, which is the text that we're going to be looking at for the next few minutes. And hopefully by the end of our time together, Through God's word, you're going to have a clearer sense of direction about how to navigate the season that we're currently in and to navigate through the seasons that are going to come in your life. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 3, or if you have that app, you can hop online. You're going to see some of these words up here on the screen as well. But maybe Joshua chapter 3 is a new uh, book for you. Maybe this is an unfamiliar passage of Scripture. And if so, I want to give you a little snapshot as to what's going on. Because the book of Joshua gives us a snapshot into the life of this people group called the Israelites. And the Israelites are God's chosen people. Maybe you have never heard this story before, but God's chosen people back in the Old Testament were the Israelites. And what has happened to the Israelites is they're in slavery, or they have been in slavery, I should say, in Egypt. And what God has promised them is that he is going to deliver them from slavery. He says, I'm going to take you out of slavery And I'm going to take you to a promised land, to the promised land. And so he sets apart this leader named Moses to take them out of slavery. And so they find themselves out in the wilderness. And this is a very large group of people. Sometimes when we see the the phrase Israelites, we're thinking this is like a camp of 100 people. I mean, this is probably a couple million people is what most biblical scholars would say. So this is not like a size of Bridgestone Arena, that number of people. This isn't Titan Stadium. I mean, this is like the entire state of Tennessee, you know, and and it's just a couple million people. And and you're, you're traveling. Moses is leading this group through the desert, through the wilderness. And God tells Moses, because of some choices that you made and because of some of the choices that the leaders made and the Israelites made, you're not going to see the promised land specifically, Moses. Now, the Israelites are going to see the promised land, but you specifically are not going to see. So Moses begins investing in a new leader, and Joshua is the name of his kind of protege, of his intern, so to speak. And so Joshua takes the helm of leading the Israelites after Moses dies. And so before we go to chapter 3, I do want to actually have you look at chapter 1. And I'm just going to read this for you. It's going to be up here on the screen. But Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, 
Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. That's the big idea of Joshua, is that the Israelites are going to cross the Jordan River to the land flowing with milk and honey, to the promised land, out of slavery, this 40-year journey, the last step, the last phase has this big Jordan River that they have to cross over and figure out they don't have a boat, by the way. So they have to get over the Jordan River. And God says to Joshua, I'm going to take the Israelites over the Jordan River. Now, if you're Joshua, are you going to be a little bit scared by this? Absolutely. I'm going to be really terrified, really anxious about this task because Moses has just died. I'm the new leader, and I'm looking at a couple million people trying to get them to trust me and believe me. I'm going to need some courage. I'm going to have some fear. It's why Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 is such an amazing passage of Scripture. And Kelly Minter talked about this last week, but look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is God saying, Joshua, you do not have to be afraid. That is God saying to you right now, you can take courage when you're fearful. You can take courage in the midst of adversity because God will walk with you and God desires to be right there with you. So back to chapter 3. Again, the context is Joshua is getting ready to take the Israelites across the Jordan River. And so I'm going to read all of Joshua chapter 3 in its entirety to you. And so I encourage you to follow along because I want you to hear the whole story before we unpack a couple big points. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. And after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Araba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. What an incredible story. And so I want you to see some big ideas here because after three days, it says in verse 2, Joshua and the leaders are preparing. And after three days, the officers go throughout the camp and they give orders to the people to prepare for the crossing of the Jordan River. 
In fact, in verse 3, Joshua says, When and only when you see the Ark of the Covenant and the priest carrying the covenant move in front of you, then you are then to move out from your positions and follow after. Now, the Ark of the Covenant might be a new concept for you as well. And the simplest way I know how to describe that is the Ark of the Covenant is the place where God physically dwelled with the Israelites. God physically dwelled with them in this place called the Ark of the Covenant. And when you see it pass by you, Joshua says, you are to move from your position and follow it. Now, this is a huge task, a huge task that Joshua and the Israelites had in front of them. And when you see it go by, that's when you step out. What did Joshua not say? He did not say you need to go tie a rope around the Ark of the Covenant and drag it with you. He didn't say you need to jump on top of the Ark of the Covenant and try to find the steering wheel so that you can steer it. And he certainly didn't say you need to walk beside the Ark of the Covenant so you and God can consult on a plan together. In fact, he said stay a couple hundred cubits away from it and only follow after the Ark of the Covenant when it has come before you. You wait until you see it pass by and then you step out and follow. And that's the first point of the message today. And I really believe that God has brought some of you here today specifically to hear this point. God doesn't need me to pave the way for him. Let me repeat that for you. God doesn't need me to pave the way for him. You know who else God doesn't need to pave the way for him? God doesn't need you to pave the way for him. Does God use us? Does God invite us into his work? Absolutely. Praise God for that. But he doesn't need me to be a pace setter for him. He doesn't need me to do some creative brainstorming, some creative strategy sessions, so that he can all of a sudden learn some new things. No, God's not asking me to pave the way for him. One of the greatest blessings of being an independent, vision-minded person is that you can take initiative and you can lead and you can set a pace. One of the greatest Achilles heels of being a vision-minded, driven person is that you can lead and take initiative and set a pace and ultimately make things about you more than you make them about God to where you begin to think you are in control and that God somehow needs me to be a pace setter for him. God invites us into the work, but he doesn't need us to show him the way. He says, I want you to follow after me. There's a couple passages of Scripture that I love that give us such great insight into this. First is Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9. And what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes is, What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Now, are there new things to you? Are there things that you have never experienced before? Absolutely. But is there anything new to God? No. There's really nothing new to him. There's no challenge, no adversity that is out of, the scan, out of the kind of realm of his sovereignty. And then look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. So what is the scripture saying? Scripture is saying that in God's economy, there's really nothing new. And in the way that God works, he is ultimately sovereignly in control of all of our steps. That truth should not stress me out, but should encourage me. To know that God is working and God always has a plan that I never need to pave the way for him because he is always at work. He gave the Israelites a really specific plan and he said, don't try to get ahead of me. Don't drag behind me. But when you see the Ark of the Covenant pass in front of you, then you fall out and follow in after that. When I think about the story of Rolling Hills Community Church, Nolansville campus, I can't help but know that this is a story that God paved the way on. This wasn't my story. This wasn't the story of our leadership team. This was 
God's story. Almost one year ago to the day, we celebrated our first Sunday as a merged campus with Revived Church and Rolling Hills Community Church. And some of you are new to Rolling Hills, and you're not familiar with all of the story that's happened over the past year. But almost one year ago to the day, God opened up a new chapter in our story where we became a Rolling Hills Community Church Nolensville campus as a result of the Rolling Hills Community Church campus and Revived Church combining efforts. Prior to that, we were meeting over at Nolensville Elementary School for three years. We had been given a deadline by the school that we needed to be out of that building. And the last Sunday that we were physically allowed to be in that building was the last Sunday that we met there. I guess you could say we like to live on the edge a little bit. But through this process, we've seen incredible leaders step up. And through this process, we've seen people come to faith in Christ. Through this process, we've seen ministry continue in the midst of a global pandemic because churches that are currently meeting in schools do not have a place to meet. I praise God that we didn't have to pave the way for him. But he said, no, I'm going to write a story if you will follow me. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to be announcing some really exciting things for expansion of this campus. In fact, you're going to physically see some plans in a couple of weeks. You're going to see some renderings. You're going to see some drawings. And we're going to ask you to to trust and lean in and support what God is happening. In fact, on November 1st, we're going to have a ceremonial groundbreaking here where you're going to be able to see some of the things that are happening. But I want to tell you, The same thing that I would say a year ago is the same thing that I would say today. God doesn't need me to pave the way for him. God doesn't need us to pave the way for him. He says, you follow after me. He asks us like the Israelites to follow him. Don't go ahead too fast. Certainly don't drag behind too slow. But trust and walk with him. Go back to verse 3. This is what Joshua says. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. And then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. He says, follow. Don't follow too close. Because God will show you the way because you have never been this way before. Is anyone finding themselves in a season of life right now that they have never been in before? I mean, if there was only something we could all relate to, if there was only something going on in the world right now that was new and different, I mean, if there was only like a global pandemic, for example, that we could use as an example, if there was only something like every business and church and ministry and school and family and parent and grandparent trying to figure out how to navigate through all of the unknowns, if things just weren't so simple right now, maybe this would be a more relevant passage of Scripture if, if only we were in the midst of maybe an election year or something where we're being bombarded by information and bombarded by, by noise and bombarded by candidates, if, if we only lived in a world where there wasn't some challenges and some stressors and some tension. See, this passage is so relevant for us today because we need God to show us the way. We need God to show us the way because our lives are filled with so many things right now that we have never experienced personally, that we don't have a clear path ahead, that we don't have an experience to say this is what we should do. And you see this here in your notes, but if you are in uncharted territory, what makes you think you know the way? If you're in uncharted territory, 
what makes you think you know the way? Now, has God given you gut instincts? Yes. Has God given you wise counsel from others? Absolutely. But in your own power, not God's power, in your own power, your human flesh and blood, you just simply don't know the way. He knows the way. And if you find yourself in a place that you've never been before, I would encourage you to ask yourself, am I following God or am I following myself? Am I following someone else or am I following God? See, the problem with placing your faith in a person specifically, the problem with placing all of your faith in a person specifically is what happens to people. People die. If all of the faith had been placed in Moses, where would the Israelites have been? Wandering for 40 more years, probably saying, take us back to Egypt because at least we had a house to live in there. Your faith can't be in just the leader. We're entering into an election cycle. And if nobody has told you this before, it doesn't matter who is elected. Our full faith should not be in either candidate. Our faith should be in God. Because what happens with mankind? Mankind, they, they, our two candidates are just like me and they are just like you. They're human, imperfect, not capable of being God. God says, you follow me, you trust me, and when you trust me, then you can follow other people who are trusting me. You can follow after other spiritual leaders who are trusting me, but just know that if your faith is solely in somebody flesh and blood, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And if you're in uncharted territory right now, the reality is we just don't know the way, but God does, and he says, I want to prepare that way for you, but this is what you need to do. This is how you need to prepare yourself. Look at verse 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do some amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves. Why? Because tomorrow the Lord is going to do something amazing in you. You see this there in your notes as well, but I believe that everybody wants to experience the movement of God, but not everyone wants to move toward God, <laughs> right? Everybody wants to experience the movement of God. Sign me up. Who wants to see the Jordan parted? Woohoo! I'd love to see a good miracle. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just a, 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 something that's just naturally seems so impossible, and God shows in. We sing about it. God of the impossible works in these, in these, these ways. God who works in impossible ways makes possible things um, out of what, what we see. See, I want to experience that, but not everybody wants to move toward God. Who doesn't want to experience healing? Absolutely. Who doesn't want to see a blessing and receive a blessing? Sure, sign me up for that. But am I quick to say, you know what, I want to move toward God. I want to move toward the things of God. See, the movement of God happens when we consecrate or set ourselves apart. That's what that word consecrate means. That we are to set ourselves apart, that we are to make ourselves holy. And when we do that, God says that I'm going to do amazing things in your midst. Now, that Hebrew word for amazing things literally means wondrous things wondrous things, that God specializes in doing wondrous things for us. I think about the theme verse of Rolling Hills Community Church. 18 years ago, we started our first campus. Our lead pastor, Jeff Simmons, started our first campus in Franklin, Tennessee, almost 18 years ago. And the verse that we used as the theme verse then, and the core verse of Rolling Hills now is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. What is this characteristic of God that we're honing in on in that verse? That he specializes in the immeasurably more. 
He does immeasurably more in your life than you could ever ask or imagine. It's the same promise that Joshua was giving the people. When you consecrate yourselves and set yourselves apart for God, he comes and he does wondrous things in your midst. He's going to do some incredible things in your life. In fact, he wants to do incredible things in your life. He wants to do incredible things in the life of your marriage and your family, in your business, in your personal walk with him. But you have to move toward him. And you have to set yourselves apart and consecrate yourself for him. And then look and see what happens. Verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, you go and stand in the river. And Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you All of these groups of people. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of the earth. He will go in the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. This is one of the most interesting stories in the Bible for me personally because God promises them what he's going to do. He says, I've set Joshua apart so that you will cross the Jordan River. But what does he tell the priest? He says, I'm going to part the water so that you will cross, but there is one thing that you have to do. You have to go stand in the water first. I'm going to part the water, but you have to go stand in the water. You are going to see me do something so incredible, but you have a part to play. I am not going to part the waters 100 yards before you get there. You're not going to be a mile away and see the waters parting. You're going to be standing at the edge of the river, and it's still going to be flowing freely. And when those 12 priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant get their feet wet, and they stand out in the middle of the river, that's when you're going to see the heaping water come up on the sides. My question to you is, are you willing to say yes to God before knowing all of the plans? Are you willing to say yes to God? before knowing all the plans? Or are you type A? Are you person A? It's got to be detailed. I've got to have an itinerary. I've got to know every possible thing that may happen before I will say yes. Are you traveler A? You person A? Parent A? Give me all the plans, Pastor Jason, and then I will move. You show me every answer to every question I have right now, and as long as it can empirically and scientifically be proven, and no financial risk, and no inconvenience on my part, I will do it. And what is God saying here? God is saying, you've got to be willing to say yes before you know all of the plans. Now, when we say yes, we rarely know what he's going to do. When you and I say yes, we rarely know what he's going to do. In fact, when I say yes, it has more significant implications than I could ever imagine. When I say yes, it has huge implications for my family. When I say yes to what God is doing, it has huge implications for my children. When you say yes to what God is doing, it has huge implications for your grandchildren, for the generations to come. We like to think, however, though, is if God would have just made it all a little bit clearer, then I would say yes. God, if you made the path so clear that I didn't have to fear or have any anxiety or anything like that, then I would say yes. But the reality is I think if I had all of the answers, I wouldn't say yes at all. If I really knew everything that was going to happen, 
I probably would not have said yes. For example, if I would have known what 2020 was going to entail, I would have taken the entire year off. I mean, had I known in December 2019 what all 2020 was going to entail, I think I would have called my boss and said, I feel like this is the time for me to just go find myself for the next year. And maybe if the job is still there when I'm not. See, you don't get that privilege. You say yes, and you step by step, day by day. Trust God. And what does he do in those moments? He makes his way known. Now, what happened in this story? What happened? Look at verse 14. I love this. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark of the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great heap a distance away. And go down to verse 17. And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation, two million people, had completed the crossing on dry ground. See, God moved. But what could have stopped them? What could have stopped the Israelites from being faithful? Well, for starters, a big river. Right? A big river could have stopped them. Oh, if the river wasn't big enough, did you catch? It was also in the middle of flood season. So the river is running deeper, faster, and wider than it even normally does. Isn't that the way that God works? I'm going to put an obstacle in front of you, but just in case you wondered how big this obstacle is, I'm going to make it just a little bit bigger for you, just a little bit deeper so that you'll have to trust me just a little bit more. How about the fact that they had to go step first? How about the fact that they had to place faith over fear? How about the fact that they had to work through the risks and say, God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of this season? You see the last point for this morning. And I believe this with all of my heart. You run the risk of missing what God will do when you're so concerned about all the risk. You run the risk of missing what God will do when you're so concerned about all of the risk. Now, what do I mean by that? Do I mean that your life should be cavalier? No. Do I think you should be smart? Absolutely. God has given you a brain, and he's given you common sense. You should use those things. I'm not, I'm not encouraging you. Please do not leave here and said the pastor of the church said we should never fear anything. We should just take on all of the risk. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Be smart. Be wise. Don't be, you know, don't be somebody who makes really poor decisions. But when you try and mitigate all of the possible risk that might happen in your life, you miss something. And God is saying, no, I'm there in the details. I'm there in the story. I'm there in the process. Why? Because there's nothing new under the sun. This isn't new to God. It's new to us. It's not new to God. And he says, I'm sovereignly walking with you in every step. I'm in charge. You're not in charge. And we're in the midst of a season that feels a lot different than this. We're not physically in a season where we're trying to cross a river, but we're in a season where there's obstacles in front of us that we don't know how to cross, that we don't know how to traverse, that we don't know how to get through. And I'm asking you this morning to take big steps of faith. I'm asking you this morning, and I'm committing myself. I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not asking myself to do. I'm asking all of us to trust God in this next season of ministry. I'm asking us to trust God through all of the logistical 
questions that have to be answered. I'm asking us to trust God in the midst of a global pandemic. I'm asking us to trust God more than ourselves and more than candidates in the midst of a election. I'm asking us to trust God in the midst of a building expansion, which we're going to be talking about in just a couple of weeks. Not to mention, if I had time to go through every individual thing that you're seeking to trust God with now in your own life, if I were to walk around this room and say, what are you trust, seeking to trust God with right now? How about you? What do you have going on in your life that is a moment right now where you're having to choose faith over fear? How about you? How about you? We could spend the rest of the day sharing stories, couldn't we, of just the individual things that you're dealing with, where you're saying the obstacle seems so severe, but I've got to trust God in the midst of all of that. And when we do that, a variety of risks are always going to surface. What type of person are we going to be? Are we going to be person A? Give me all the plans and then I'll step in the water. Or are we going to be person B saying, I'm on a journey. I'm going to process God, refine, shape, mold. Or are we person C right now who says, I'm going to choose faith. I'm going to step into the water and I'm going to trust God that you will carry me when I don't know the next step to take. So what needs to be tweaked in your life? Maybe you're here this morning and you're relying way too much on your own personal plans. And God is saying, I want you to bring those to me. Or perhaps you're here and God is stirring something in your life that you've just allowed to lay dormant for quite some time and he's saying, no, I want to use you. Maybe there's an answer that you need right now. It's a question that you have brought to God. It is a a situation that's going on in your life, and you have brought it to God many, many times, and you're seeking an answer, you're seeking wisdom, and the step that you haven't taken yet is a step into the water. God's bringing clarity to you right now, I and mean, what he's saying is, I want you to step into the water, because you've been looking for an answer from 100 yards away, but I want you to step in the water and trust me. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. The band's going to come back up, because I believe that God desires to do immeasurably more in our lives right now. And so my question to you is, will you trust him in whatever area he's asking you to trust him with right now? Lord, thank you for meeting us in this place. I'm so thankful for your presence. I'm so thankful for what you are doing. I pray that you would continue to find each and every one of us faithful. Find us faithful to the task that is ahead. If there is any area of our life that we're seeking to pave the way more than we're seeking to trust you, I pray that you would make that so abundantly clear right now. And that we would take those steps, step into the water. That we would step into the water following after you. And we know that when we do that, you will make the path so abundantly clear. And that you'll bring so much joy and so much peace and so much contentment into our lives. So we pray that this very morning in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. Thanks for listening. We're thankful for you.